So Ephesians chapter 3, as we continue, you know, as we, uh, as of course you heard, there's many announcements as we get into the summertime and uh, sometimes it might feel like it's so overwhelming, all these things that are going on, how do I keep track? Well, we encourage you to, as Sean said, make sure you get the app and you're, you're up, up to date with what's going on, but with all these events, I just want to encourage you guys, partake, partake in these various uh, wonderful opportunities that we have as the body of Christ to come together and to have sweet fellowship together. Uh, it's, it's such a wonderful time. And if you've never been a part of any of these things, then come on out, don't miss it. If you have, then you know you don't want to miss uh, these opportunities. And uh, so some of these various events coming up are not just for the sake of doing you know, church events, but truly to bring the body together and to minister to one another. Uh, and there's opportunity to reach out to the community as well. So uh, we look forward to all that the Lord's going to do this summer here at Cornerstone. Amen? Ephesians 3 uh, as, as we read 8 to 13, we continue our study. Last week, looked at the mystery that has been revealed that the Gentiles are brought into the fellowship of the body of Christ, the church, and, and that all Jews and Gentiles are made one uh, in the body of Christ, are brought together. There's no, no longer a wall of separation and this is really the beauty of the church, and we're going to be digging deeper into, really throughout this chapter, into the next chapter, this, this, the beauty of the body of Christ, the purpose of the body of Christ, the church, and how, how wonderful it is, how glorious it is, and that that is, as we've been talking about, so much a part of God's workmanship, Yes, it is the individual, and yes, it's, for, it's people, his workmanship. We are his workmanship, but his church is his workmanship. And we want to keep that in mind as we study through this chapter, Ephesians chapter 3, into chapter 4 as well, of the work that God has done in creating and, and making this masterpiece, this beautiful work of art that is the church. It's so wonderful. It's called a mystery. This mystery took so long to be revealed, and it's only revealed through Christ. And so now we get into verse 8 here, and we're going to be looking at the purpose today of the mystery, the purpose of the body of Christ and this mystery. Why was it revealed? What's the purpose for us as the church? And so, <coughs> as Paul says to me, who is less than the least of all the saints. He starts off here by putting himself in check, naturally. Now, we've, we've already established, we've already talked about this revelation that Paul got from God. That's a big deal, right? He's an apostle. He's been given a vision. He has seen the risen Christ who showed up to him on the road to Damascus in this glorious light that appeared that he was blinded by. And with that that has been revealed to him, you might imagine it would be easy to have some pride. Like Jesus showed up to me. That's a big deal, right? And, and we, we sometimes can get caught up in these things and we think, well, I have a special gift that's been given to me. But Paul's saying, look, no matter what has been given to me, 
Jesus himself showed up, this great calling and this great passion, this calling on his life to be a minister of the gospel because of the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is not caught up in saying, look at me, guys, listen to me, because I have so- I'm something great. But what he's saying is, to me, who am the least, the, the le- less than the least of the saints, God has given a revelation to me. It's pretty mind-blowing. And so he, as a steward of the divine revelation that he received from the Lord, no, now he's saying, I'm less than the least of the saints. He's walking in humility, true humility. True humility is the mark of a true minister. Not putting himself on a pedestal. And even that word we talked about last week at the end of uh, verse 7 even, where he says, which I became a minister, he's a servant of the gospel. A minister, a servant of the gospel. That's who he is. And so he's saying, me, a servant, who persecuted previously, before his conversion, persecuted Christians, hunted down Christians to kill them, and now... All right, we have another translation over here. (laughs) He's saying, though, but I'm a true minister. This is a mark of humility, a mark of of a true minister of the gospel, not putting himself on a pedestal. And far too often we see in the church, in in, in the whole world of church, ministers, pastors, leaders putting themselves on a pedestal, and, and making the mark of ministry being about a success of following or a success of, of influence and power and money. And we've seen that lead to great falls within the church. But Paul truly humbled that God would choose to bestow this grace upon him. Recognizing this, that he is unworthy and aren't we all so with Paul we can say to me who am less than the least of the saints this grace was given this grace is this revelation from God this picture of who God is and God's a per- God's perfect plan and so now we get into here the purpose of God's grace We're going to be looking at a few different purposes of God's grace throughout this passage today and further in the coming weeks. But he says, this grace was given that I should preach. The idea of grace here is that it is a gift. And it is a gift that is to be shared with one another. And so we are sharing the grace of God. With one another. In chapter four, we're going to spend a bit of time on that topic alone. The grace of God that is given to us so that we could give it to each other. And it is given to us in the form of various gifts. We have gifts to give the body of Christ. And so here Paul is saying, the gift that I have, the gift that has been given to me, it is the grace of God given to me. And this grace is the revelation that God has given me. This beautiful picture of the church, the mystery of the fellowship of the church. And he can't contain it. He has to share it. 
when we recognize the grace of God that has been given to us and the gifts that we have that is the grace of God, then we can't contain it. We can't hold on to it. We can't help but share it with each other. And so what he's, he has here, he says, look, the purpose of God's grace, the purpose of this grace, the purpose of this revelation is to preach. To preach means to announce the good news. That was Paul's mission to the Gentiles, to announce the good news, to proclaim the good news among the Gentiles, as it says, which is talking about his specific calling from God to the Gentiles. And what does he say? That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches that are Christ. This is another reference to God's economy. We've talked about the riches of his grace and that he is rich in mercy, right? And, and how constantly we come back to the riches of God or the riches of, of who Christ is and all that we have in the riches of God. And it is a constant reminder of the embarrassment of riches that God has that he's given to us. And the church is further embarrassment of God's riches. As he says, the unsearchable riches of Christ. He is, his goal that he should preach among the Gentiles the good news, making known the good news of the gospel among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of God's grace. The word here for unsearchable means actually what is untraceable or untrackable. It cannot be comprehended. We cannot wrap our mind around God's riches, God's wealth, God's economy. It's so far beyond our understanding, pointing us toward God's economy. The riches that we have in Christ are truly immeasurable, unsearchable. They cannot be comprehended. His work, his grace, a total embarrassment of riches. And we will never know completely on this side of heaven how great his riches are. But we get to experience it. Even though we don't understand it, we get to experience it. Verse nine, we continue into another purpose of this grace, he says, and to make all see who is the fellowship. What is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Another purpose of this grace is to make all see. This grace is this revelation that God has given him. And what he's saying here, it's not just for me. Grace is not just for me. Paul's giving purposes here. The mystery being revealed. The purpose of the church. It's not just for us that we might preach, making proclamation of the good news, and that, as Paul says, it is to make all see. He himself is saying it's not just for me. God did not reveal this grace to me for me. When we have good news, guys, it's not just for us. 
but we have a tendency to make sure to share bad news, right? And we all, we all kind of cling to it. When you hear something bad, everybody wants to come around and watch, you know? Everybody wants to check it out. Well, this past week, we had a fire here at the church. Some of you may already know that. And when anybody found out, they're like, where? I want to see it. I want to see the damage. It's no big deal. It's a garbage. Somebody lit a fire in a garbage can outside the building in the middle of the night. And it burned some of the soffit and... But you know what? They came back the other day. They apologized. And uh, God is glorified, guys. We're going to still do the work that God has called us to. But the reality is, when everybody, now, now that I told you, it's all settled. Right? It's all settled. You're like, oh, okay. That's good news, though. They came forward, and, and, and they apologized for what took place. Praise the Lord. And we're able to walk forward in that, in unity, in the body of Christ. And, and we're like, okay, cool. Now we go home. But if we're like, man, there's a fire. We don't know what happened. This is unbelievable. Somebody started a fire. We have it all on camera. You guys would be like, show us the video. We want to see it. We are drawn to the fire. We are drawn to this terrible thing that's taken place. But now it's, oh, it's all settled. No big deal. But we're drawn to bad news. Right? I mean, I've, I've used this example before. If, if you open the refrigerator and you're like, oh, that smells bad, then what happens? Somebody else wants to come to the refrigerator and open the refrigerator and like, let me smell it. But you go in the refrigerator every single day, many times a day, you open it, you get what you're going to get, and you close it, and you don't think twice about it. It's good news that you have good food in your refrigerator. But yet we don't care unless it's bad. Whew, that smells bad. Let me smell it. We're drawn to it. But we need to celebrate the good news. We have good news in us. So as Paul, it's been given to him. He's saying, I have this, this grace that has been given to me. And it's not just for me. It's so that I might preach. And it's so that I make, it might make all see so there's preaching, now there's teaching. To make all see is bringing people to an understanding of the good news and the mystery that is the church, the glorious work of art that is the church. Do we appreciate that? Paul had a specific calling to minister to the Gentiles, but further, he's, there's an essential. He says, look, it is that all should see. There's more than just the Gentiles that all would see. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's written down here. Literally written down for all to see. Right here, Ephesians chapter three, verse eight through 13, we could read of the mystery that is the church. God's glorious workmanship that is the church. Paul had simply had a passion to, to make Christ known by all means. And he continues then to explain this mystery uh, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. The mystery, it's not just information that's revealed so we can add to our knowledge, but it's about fellowship. It's about living 
living life, living with Christ, in Christ, with the body of Christ. That's a mystery. And the world would look and think, wow, that's odd. Why do all those people like each other? Why do they have such great fellowship? We have this great fellowship because of the unity that we have, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. This fellowship is about living life with the body of Christ, in Christ, without separation between God and man, and without separation between one another, as we've already studied. Paul is so passionate about bringing all to see the value and the blessing of the fellowship and oneness within the body of Christ. And as he says, which was hidden, it has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. It was hidden. In the Old Testament, God revealed many great truths to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. And you can read through the whole Old Testament and all these things that God revealed amazing things, amazing truths. But this mystery was not revealed, it was hidden. It was hidden, it was not yet known. The mystery of the church, of the fellowship with God and this fellowship with each other could only be revealed through Jesus Christ himself. It could only be born out of the work of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the blood of Christ that tore down the wall of separation that covers us, that brings us into this great fellowship as Jesus prayed for us to be one. Verse 10, we continue then, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. This manifold wisdom of God, the the translation indicates that this is a multifaceted and the infinite wisdom of God is what we're talking about here. Even the word manifold is, would be translated to multicolored. This is the wisdom of God. It is so multifaceted and it is so infinite. God is infinite. Therefore, his power, his glory, and his wisdom are also infinite further giving us indication of his riches, right? An embarrassment of riches, his power, his glory, his wisdom, his grace, all these things. And God's intent, as it says, is that we, the church, might know and experience his infinite wisdom. That's quite a gift. That's quite a gift of grace, that we might know and experience God's infinite wisdom. And there's great wisdom that comes through the church. Why? Because of the revelation. Because of Jesus Christ. And further, that we might be a testimony of God's infinite wisdom. To the world and 
to principalities and powers of heaven. You see, sometimes we get caught up in the flesh as the church. And the world might look at us and they're not in awe of the wisdom that comes out. Sometimes they think, man, the church is just a bunch of hypocrites. But we, that's what happens when we get caught, caught up in the things of the flesh. When we're fighting battles that are actually flesh and blood. But we battle not against flesh and blood, but against, what does it say, principalities, the powers of darkness. That's our battle, but yet we turn to the right and to the left, and we have physical battles with people over social media over topics that are just not worth our time when it comes to eternity. That's not a representation of the manifold wisdom of God. God's intent is that we would know it, we would experience his wisdom, and that we might be a testimony to the world, but further to the principalities and powers of heaven. God's workmanship is people. God's workmanship is the church. And his economy is grace, power, wisdom, mercy. That's all of his riches. And there's a total embarrassment of those riches. And God revealed all of that through the church. Wow, what has God entrusted to us? His grace. He hasn't given that grace to the angels. He's given it to his people. He's given it to the church. Angelic beings are looking on. God reveals all of this through the church to angelic beings. God shows his workmanship to the angels, both faithful and fallen angels to the faithful as a beautiful picture of who he is his grace his power his wisdom guys look that's what he's saying look guys look at my church to the fallen angels a warning of his grace his power and his wisdom saying guys look you better watch out look at my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. You see, we have a higher calling than just our salvation. We have a higher calling than just our sanctification. There's a quote by a theologian, uh, C.F.D. Mool. He says, what then have they to learn from us? Speaking of the angels. Ah, they have to learn something which makes them watch us with wonder and with awe. They see in us indeed all our weaknesses and all our sin, but they see a nature which wrecked by itself was yet made in the image of their God and ours. And they see this God at work upon that wreck, 
to produce results not only wonderful in themselves, but doubly wonderful because of the conditions. Our condition of sin is miserable. We've studied that already in Ephesians chapter 2. And the angels of heaven would look down and be in awe of God, of his grace, when they see the church. And the fallen angels would look down and see, with great warning, God's power and God's grace through the church. The angelic beings are both interested in what's happening and instructed, are learning by the, through the church. And that's why the conduct of the church is so important. That's why there's so much instruction for the church that Paul writes in several letters. There's great instruction for the church. When the church is getting things wrong, Paul gives correction. When the church is getting things right, there's, there's encouragement. Hey, good job. But our conduct is so important because it is a testimony of God's grace. Angels and demons are watching. And God intends to teach them through his workmanship, through the mystery that is the church. Verse 11, then he says, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That, we might, that the intent is that we would know and experience the wisdom and be a testimony of the wisdom and the power and the glory of God. And this is all according to the eternal purpose, not the earthly purpose, not the temporal purpose, but the eternal purpose according to God's plan. Listen, guys, God's plans are centered on the church in the world. He intends to use the church to change the world and to testify to the principalities. That's his intent. It tells us that. To use the church, not to just save people and say, all right, guys, have a great time. Good job making a decision. Now do whatever you want. Have a great time. Jesus said, go make disciples. Why? Because he wanted to use the church. to tell the good news, to preach, to teach, to change the world. God intends to use the church. So the church is a centerpiece to God's plan of the eternal purpose. But most of all, God's plans are centered on Christ. If God's plans are centered on Christ, then I think our plans should also be centered on Christ. Amen? Let's not forget that. Our plans for our lives need to be centered on Christ. If they're centered on Christ, then it's not actually going to be our plans, but his plans for our life. Likewise, our plans for the church must be centered on Christ. And that's what we're all about, the word of God, the worship of God, that we might change the world for God. 
centered on Jesus Christ, on his words, on his work, on who he is, on what he's done. And the truth of the gospel, that's what we are centered on. There is no church without the fulfillment of God's plan, which is centered on Jesus Christ. The cross was his plan. And through the cross, God displayed his infinite wisdom. God displayed his love, his power. And this is as a means. He displayed these things. He, he, through the cross, he displayed these things as a means of redeeming fallen men and testifying to the world and testifying to the angels. And even in that rebuking, the fallen angels. Even in that rebuking, the world that rejects him. This is all his purpose for the church. Are our lives a testimony of his grace, of his love, of his power, and of his wisdom? Or are we so caught up still in the physical, the flesh and blood, the here and now, that we look no different than the world? Before the foundation of the world, God had a plan for redemption. And he has been revealing that plan throughout all of history. And it was as it says, accomplished in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, it is finished. The debt is paid in full. Verse 12. <clears throat> Further, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Man, this is just such a simple basic of Christianity. Faith in him. Who? Jesus. It's going back to Jesus saying, in whom we have boldness, we have access, and it's all with confidence and it's through faith, through relationship with Jesus Christ. We have boldness and access and confidence. Boldness meaning there's freedom of expression before God that we might come boldly before the throne of grace. There's access. And we discussed this a few weeks ago, that we all have the same access, whether Jew or Gentile, through relationship with Jesus Christ, through faith in him, as it says right here, we all have the same access to the presence of God. The veil was torn. We have direct access, and we can come boldly before the throne of of grace. We don't have to be timid and we don't need any other person. Jesus is that person. To give us direct access to the presence of God, to enter the presence behind the veil, it's through Jesus. It's through relationship with him. We don't need anybody else. Oftentimes, We'll think that we do, 
oftentimes, many people in the world will turn to a man to be their access to God. But we have direct access ourselves through faith in Jesus Christ. And this all gives us confidence. We have boldness, we have access, and that builds us up our confidence, doesn't it? When we remember that we are his workmanship, that we are created in the image of God. Guys, that's us, that's people. As we've already given a bit of a contrast between us and the angels, they have not been created in God's image, but we have. And we're a testimony to them of God's grace, of God's power, of God's wisdom. And so we grow in confidence when we recognize, I have direct access to God. Wow, that's pretty awesome. We have a direct line. We don't have to go through anybody else. That should give us confidence. We don't have to just knock on the door. My kids, they, they have direct access. But I don't want them to always have direct access, you know? As a parent, it's like, hey, you know, can you knock on the door, please? They just go barging right through the door. Any door they see, they just come plowing right through. Like, Guys, knock first. I need some privacy. I need a moment. Whatever it might be, man, they, they just go right for it, plowing right through. You know what's great, guys? We can plow right through. We don't have to sit there and just knock. Hey, God, is it okay? Do you have a minute? I need to talk. We have direct access to our Heavenly Father. That gives us great confidence. And with that confidence, we can keep coming to Him. We can continue in boldness with that confidence. And that confidence that we have, too, even among the world, as you look around, man, you can say, hey, I've got direct access to the creator of heaven and earth. I've got direct access to the savior of the world. What great confidence. And it's through faith in him. Relationship with Jesus Christ. Putting our trust in him, walking with him. It gives us confidence to worship him. It gives us confidence to testify of him. There's great confidence that we have when we walk with Jesus. Sometimes we might show up and think, I'm not worthy. I can't come to him and worship today. No, we're never worthy, but we have direct access. So we can come with boldness and we can have confidence that that's what he desires, fellowship. We can have confidence as we walk with Jesus to testify of him. Maybe sometimes you try to hide. You don't want the world to see your life because maybe you're not testifying. As you're walking with Jesus, you are being made into the image. You are his workmanship, made into the image of God. What great confidence then you have to testify 
of who God is, of how great he is, how powerful, to testify of his wisdom because you are reliant on him alone. It gives us uh, confidence to testify of him to all of heaven and earth. To testify of how great God is and how great his ways are, his plans. And now Paul gives, gives reference to those plans in verse 13. So therefore I ask, because of all this, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So because God is so grace, great, because of his grace, his mercy, his love, his power, his glory, his wisdom, and because of this boldness, because of this access, because I have great confidence in who I am in Christ, that I am being made into the image of Christ, that I am his workmanship, that you are his workmanship, then don't worry about me. Don't lose heart. Because God has a perfect plan for redemption and we're all being made, remade into the image of God as believers in Jesus Christ. Because of that, we have confidence. Because of that confidence, we don't have to worry about tribulation. And Paul's saying, guys, there's a bigger plan here. There's a bigger plan in store. And going back to the beginning of when God made a plan, Father, Son, and Spirit made a plan, a perfect plan for redemption. Paul's saying, I'm just part of it. I'm just part of God's plan. And so my suffering is also part of God's plan. And in the midst of his suffering, Paul's not just sitting back, mm, I hate these chains. No, he doesn't even recognize the chains. He's like, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not of Rome, not of the Jews. I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means I am on a mission. My chains are a mission. And as we talked about last week, he was under house arrest, and they would be changing the guard. He was chained literally to another person in his own house. And they would change the guard all the time. And you know what he had opportunity for? A captive audience. He wasn't the captive. The guard was. They had nowhere to go. I can guarantee you. And we know from other testimonies through Paul's writings that they heard the gospel. Paul, when he was in prison, what does he do? He's singing and praising God. In the midst of that, there's the, the, the earth that shakes and they're set free. And the, then the jailer is a suicidal jailer and then gets saved through this experience. Paul's not looking at his chains as a problem, but an opportunity. Because he sees it all as God has a perfect plan. And what I have right here and now in front of me though it may look like terrible circumstance, terrible tribulation and trial, I will still be committed to the calling. I will still be committed to the work of the Lord. 
So he says, do not lose heart because I'm confident. You should be confident too. Do not lose heart for his sake. Paul is part of God's plan. There's purpose in his suffering. There's purpose in his chains. And and don't get me wrong, guys. When you're going through suffering, I know it's really hard to see the purpose. It might take a long time. But that's when you have to come back to being reminded of God's grace, his glory, his power, his mercy, his wisdom. If we can keep our eyes fixed on those things, then we can take suffering and understand God in his infinite wisdom has a plan for me. And I might not understand his plan. I might not understand all that he was doing through all of this. But I do understand that he has infinite wisdom. I do understand that he is gracious and compassionate, loving, glorious and mighty God. And sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of that. Having gone through various suffering in life, difficult things that that at the time seem impossible to overcome, seem impossible to get through, and when it comes to suffering, I, I say this all the time, let's be, be reminded we don't get over it, but we can get through it day by day by the grace of God. Remembering the manifold wisdom and that all of what we're going through, all of what's taken place in our lives as we have relationship with Jesus Christ, guys, there's great hope And there's purpose. The purpose, though it might be a tough pill to swallow, the purpose is to glorify God. The purpose is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. The purpose is that all may see this glorious mystery. The purpose is that we would testify to all of heaven and earth, the goodness of God. Trusting in God's plan for redemption, trusting in God's plan for us as individuals, trusting in God's plan for the church, and trusting in what God has already accomplished which is salvation. He has already accomplished power, victory over sin and death. We have to remember that. But it's not about the flesh and blood. It's about eternity. That we would fix our eyes on him. Fall more in love with him every day. Walk with him, knowing that he's good. 
and see him do great things where in the end we will see his purpose. We won't see in part anymore. We'll see his glory. It'll all be revealed. Let's pray.